When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Turn up the radio and sing along. It's time for another great song. This is the Great Song Podcast. Seasons greetings and welcome once again to the Great Song Podcast. I'm Rob Alley. And I am JP Mosher. And we're here to celebrate the greatest songs in modern music history. We're going to tell you what makes them awesome, why we think they're awesome, and why you're awesome too. <laughs> Awesomeness. We're going to tell you what makes them great. <laughs> Why we think they're awesome and why you should too. JP, how you doing today, man? Man, I am doing fantastic. Or as Rob would like to say, I'm doing awesome. There you go. Lots of awesomeness you would today. Uh, guys, we hope you thoroughly enjoyed 80s month uh, as a good way to kickstart season 10. And if you didn't like it, if you're like, man, that 80s is way too modern then for me. Then shove it. I'm looking for something oh. just a little bit older. Yeah. Let's drop it back a decade right. as we're going 70s in September. Yes. All 70s in September. Yes, we are. Y'all know we love these themes months, theme months and how we're starting it. Well, let's just say I've got a fever. There you go. And the only prescription <laughs> is more cowbell. We're spending the day with uh, Joe Bouchard of Blue Oyster Cult discussing their massive hit, Don't Fear the Reaper, a little burning for you and his newest project, American Rocker. But for now, Rob, kick what we're playing. This is Don't Fear the Reaper by Blue Oyster Cult. <laughs> I love the sound of that ride symbol. I, that makes me immediately feel like I'm in a room full of blacklight posters. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's like, um, it's funny because one of the things I've always thought about this song is one of the really cool things about it is you think Blue Oyster Cult, you think heavy metal, right? There's yeah. like that name just symbolizes. Yeah. And it's like yeah, Blue Oyster Cult. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and we, we talk about this some with Joe in the interview, like, you know, we're raised, you can't listen to Blue Oyster. Uh, uh, They're right. evil. Right. You know what I mean? Anything that says cult in it. Don't, yeah, it says cult in the name. I mean, my gosh. And the umlaut. And the, the umlaut <laughs> and the fearing of the reaper and <laughs> the taking of the hands. None of that is allowed, you know? Um, Buck but, Dharma? I mean, come on. But like, uh, you, it, it's like, it's chill. You know, yeah, it, yeah. it's like such a good vibe. Absolutely. And it's not about what they were afraid it was about. It's uh, just, you know, all the things. That's one of my favorite things about this song, though, is that it's like, this is like a heavy band, and this was kind of a change of sound for them that was a little more commercial. But, um, you know, it's just so chill. Like Absolutely. You can, it's not what you expect. When you first put it on, you know what I mean? You're mm-hmm. expecting like, <laughs> and it's like, oh, man, come on, let's just, let's just groove with that's this, right. you know? Don't fear the reaper, dude. <laughs> Uh, That is Don't Fear the Reaper by Blue Oyster Cult from the 1976 album Agents of Fortune. It was written by Donald Roser, a.k.a. Buck Dharma. Uh, And we're going to talk, like you said, with founding bassist Joe Bouchard. And uh, it's going to be a good time. Lots of good stories to be had. Uh, Don't Fear the Reaper went to number 12 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100, number 7 on the U.S. Cashbox chart, number 7 in Canada, number 17 in Ireland, number 16 in the U.K., and that's really it. It's not a like worldwide smash uh, like some of the songs that we cover where they go top 5 or 10 or 20 or even 40 in a bunch of other countries. That's the places where this charted. Like, you know, uh, iconic song here and a couple other spots, but not really a bona fide hit anywhere else, which is pretty unusual, I yeah. think. Yeah. Um, 
In fact, the Ireland and UK charts didn't even happen until two years after the initial release of the song when the extended album version was released. The original edit didn't chart at all in Ireland oh, wow. and the UK. And the original edit just cuts out the middle section with the guitar solo and the like really heavy, you know, riffs in the middle. Um, but the they later re-released the album version and it and it charted, you know, top twenty in Ireland and the UK. Which goes to show you, if you want to chart, throw a guitar solo in. Man, yeah, at least you... in the 70s. Right. You know? Don't Fear the Reaper is number 449 on the updated 2021 edition of the Rolling Stone 500 Greatest Songs of All Time list. 29? Uh, uh, no, no, no. Uh, it's number 449. 449. Yeah. Okay. 449 on the 500 Greatest Songs of All Time list. Just above it is Tyrone by Erica Badu. Okay. And Erica, just, thanks for stopping by. Yeah, I can't. I don't think I can do Erica Badu. Maybe when I was younger. And just below it is Powderfinger by Neil Young. Okay, and Crazy Horse. Um, it was Rolling Stone's Song of the Year in 1976. Wow, that's pretty impressive. And it was included in the 2009 list by the Guardian called 1,000 Songs Everyone Must Hear. Uh, and you know I love a good list. So here are a here thousand are, songs. A thousand. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I don't have that list. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> number 1000 <laughs> the longest episode in the history of the show 994 <laughs> uh if nothing else you will know this song from its legendary appearance on saturday night live in which will ferrell plays cowbell to the annoyance of the lead singer and producer christopher walken just keeps encouraging him to go broader and bigger Bruce with Dickinson. it let's uh let's hear a little bit of a little bit of that clip starting at probably the climax can I just say one thing? Yeah, baby, just say it. I'm staring here, staring at rock legend Bruce Dickinson. The cock and a walk, baby. <laughs> and if Bruce Dickinson wants more cowbell, we should probably give him more cowbell. Say it, baby. And Bobby, you are right. I am being selfish. But the last time I checked, we don't have a whole lot of songs that feature the cowbell. <laughs> I gotta have more cowbell, baby. <laughs> I'd be doing saying, myself a disservice and every member of this band if I didn't perform the hell out of this. <laughs> Guess what? I got a fever. And the only prescription is more cowbell. <laughs> thank you, Bruce. <laughs> I think, if, I think if, I, if I just leave and uh, maybe I'll come back later and we can lay down the cowbell. Come on, baby. Gene, wait. Chris Parnell delivers this so perfectly. <laughs> Why don't you lay down that cowbell right now <laughs> with us together? <laughs> Do you mean that, Eric? Oh, yeah. Speaks for all of us. <laughs> Thank you. Babies, before we're done here, y'all be wearing gold-plated diapers. What does that mean? Never question Bruce Dickinson. <laughs> okay. And then they go on, everything's all good. They're rocking out with Cowbell. It's great. Um, so the irony, though, of that sketch, if you if you remember how that sketch is kind of laid out, they start to track the song, and you know, he's playing the cowbell and the and the lead singer, uh, who they don't call they don't call him Buck in this thing, but it would be, you know, Buck in real life, um, is kind of a like is this a little much? Is this, you know, and so they stop the track and then they go again because he, because Bruce Dickinson keeps saying he wants more cowbell and uh, they do it again. They do it a third time and then they eventually do it a fourth time. <clears throat> the irony of that sketch further immortalizing this song is the foundations of this song, including the guitar solo in the middle were recorded in a single take. Uh, not just one take, but the first take. Wow. Like, there was only one take of, the bulk of this song. And then there were a few, you know, vocals and some, uh, a few other things were overdubbed later, but the most of what you hear in this song was done very first shot. And like famously the, the engineer, when they got done went, that's it. It's the magical groove. Like we hit, we hit it. We did it. We don't need to do it again. You know, which never happened. Yeah. Um, and especially now forget it. You know what I mean? Like first of all, you don't even do one section without stopping and going back and redoing. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, I mean, truly, so um, that, of course, got me thinking uh, about, I wanted to know about some other songs that were done either completely in one take on the first take okay. or, or that very important parts of them were done on the first take. Yeah. So here's a few. This is a, a list. I won't go through all 15 of them, but some pretty significant songs on this list. This is from Ranker. Uh, this is 15 classic songs that were recorded in one take. All right. 
let's start with the Beatles twist and shout. Okay. Uh, it, uh, let's see. They had recorded nine other songs earlier in the day and, uh, they wanted, they put twist and shout last because George Martin wanted some grit in Lennon's voice on it. And so, um, even then they weren't sure it says how much juice he had left in the tank. They powered through in one take and tried a second, but Lennon's voice was so shot. So the band decided to, to wow. let that one take be the one. And that's it. And they don't do one takes on anything. Legendary. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So they did one take on, uh, on twist and shout. Uh, how about How Will I Know by Whitney Houston? Holy cow. Um, how Will I Know wasn't the first single off of Whitney Houston's debut album, but it's the most memorable song off the album. It was definitely memorable for songwriters and our friends, George Merrill and Shannon Rubicam, a.k.a. Boy Meets Girl. Uh, the pair was tapped to write the song for Janet Jackson. I think they told us that in the interview. But uh, when she passed on it, the song made its way to Whitney Houston for her self-titled debut. Everyone who heard Houston's first vocal take on the song knew something special was brewing. Additional be- uh, backing tracks were recorded separately, but that first lead vocal track stayed in the final mix. That's awesome. How about that? Uh, how about Louie Louie by the Kingsman? Okay. Another classic. One take. Um, and Pharaoh, it says, Pharaoh. Just kidding. That, yes. It says there was only ever one uh, recording of this song, which is why there are numerous errors ranging from mistimed vocals to the F word in the background from when the drummer dropped <laughs> his sticks mid recording. <laughs> this is a real surprise. How about lose yourself by Eminem what? from the eight mile soundtrack? Incredible song. It says Eminem's performance in eight mile shocked a lot of people who dismissed him as a one trick artist. Um, the film showed the range he had as an actor and rapper, and it also produced one of his most successful singles in Lose Yourself. Eminem wrote the song between takes on the set of the movie and didn't have much time to record between his responsibilities on set. He wow. said he was able to record each verse in a single take during his lunch breaks while filming. Holy cow. Let's see, a few more. Uh, Hail Mary, Tupac, Sister Ray by The Velvet Underground, uh, House of the Rising Sun by The Animals. That's a long song. That is a long song, and it was their first take. They had started playing it uh, while opening for Chuck Berry on tour, and um, they begged their producer to uh, let them record a single version, and they were allegedly able to put it all together on the first take because how they had fine-tuned it on tour. They had just done it a lot. played it a lot. Yeah. A few more. How about Come On, Feel the Noise by Quiet Riot? Which, did you know, is a cover? No. They did not write Come On, Feel the Noise. It was originally... uh, They were the first ones to spell it that way, though, surely, right? I have no idea. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's a cover from a uh, from a '70s song from the band Slade. Huh. And uh, I didn't know that they didn't want to do it apparently. But so they were like, "We're, we're going to do one, you know, one take. That's it." The producer Just wanted to, to do it. The they didn't want to do it. That's crazy. And so uh, it says, despite the fact that the band started from the wrong part of the song and even left out a verse, the song still worked <laughs> and ended up their breakthrough <laughs> Billboard single. That's awesome. This is a cool one. Uh, I was wasn't really aware of this song, but there's a, a song by Funkadelic called Maggot Brain. That is the title track to the album, Maggot Brain. And it's uh, basically an instrumental. It's got a little kind of a spoken word at the front. Um, and then it's just a really long solo. And it's a really soulful, you know, really like emotional solo. It was all done in a single take. Miles Davis is Kind of Blue, uh, which is a landmark album. Yeah. And the entire album. No way. Entire album that, that was recorded in a series of single takes. That's awesome. As part of Davis's jazz experimentation. Why did I say experimentation like that? Eggs. I sounded like I said it like I was trying to make an egg pun. You know what I mean? His <laughs> experimentation uh, in the 50s. He pushed his ensemble to work in the modal style where the background is simple, blah, 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 blah. Davis worked up, worked up basic compositions for the players to serve as a framework on the recording, but the improv on each track was pure inspiration from the first take. Uh, Rapper's Delight, Sugar Hill Gang. That's awesome. Body Snatchers by Radiohead. Elvis Presley, That's All Right, Mama. Uh, Monster Mash by hey. Bobby Boris Pickett. The Graveyard Look at the Smash. Monster Mash. The Graveyard Smash. How about Betty Davis Eyes by Kim, Kim Carnes? Single take. Raspy raspiest vocals ever i think on a hit song maybe like tom waits might have had raspier vocals on something <laughs> but he doesn't have any not hits like that like yeah, betty davis size yeah. is a hit you know what i mean um that is uh, shocking that she was able to do that in one take it's like she i mean she literally sang it like she has laryngitis like you know? she's smoking like, into the mic <laughs> she's like yes, pass me some camels everything everything you hear in that song is filtered through a cigarette That's like right. she's holding it in between her mouth and the microphone she sang that through her neck voice box because they had to rep- anyway <laughs> anyway yeah. Oh man, that's yeah. probably offensive to some. Sorry, no, that's that's, it, that's it happens, only good. You know, time. I can't. It'll never. I don't think the technology will ever be good enough 
where you won't want to laugh at somebody who uses one of those voice boxes. It's just a fact. That's right. It's just a fact. There's like, you know, it, 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 no matter how much they improve the sound, it's always going to be amusing. I'm sorry. Absolutely. It is always going to be it amusing there's, there's to hear a, a voice coming from somebody's throat. J.C. Penney's in the Cleveland Mall that we would go by and I'd, I would pay extra to have my stuff gift wrapped just to have her say, Oh my gosh. Anyway, I'm not going to do it. Yeah, I am. <laughs> <laughs> do you want a bow on top? The answer is yes. Oh, every time. Man. Awesome. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, let's, uh, we're yeah. not making fun. We're just no, having fun. We're having fun. And she we're got, remembering that's fun. That's right. We're remembering fun. <laughs> Why don't we, should we go ahead and meet let's the band? Meet let's, let's meet, meet the, the guys. Blue Oyster Cult. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey, let's meet the band. It's time to meet the band. Hey, mama, let's meet the band. Let's all meet the band. Hey! All right, we're going to meet the band that played on Don't Fear the Reaper. Um, Eric Bloom on guitar and backing vocals is referenced, as Rob mentioned in the skit, uh, as Chris Parnell plays the part of Eric on that. Um, his vocal idols, James Brown and Ronnie James Dio. Yeah! Let's ride that tiger, Rob. <laughs> yeah! Y'all knew it was coming. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Gotta get this part in. Everybody. Right the tiger! You can see his strength. All right. That never gets old. Never. Never it, gets old. Never. Every reference is uh, is so loved. Absolutely. That might be our first one of season 10. I can't remember. I think he, it is. He worked at Sam Ash in 1968, and that is important for two reasons. That's how he linked up with Buck Dharma. Okay. Uh, a neat story of a photo he put up of his band between the Who and the Rolling Stones on the posters, and that's how Buck found him. But number two fact, who knew Sam Ash has been around that long? Yeah. 68? That's crazy. Yeah. Go go, Sam Ash. That was probably like the first, like, Sam Ash's music story. You know what yeah. I mean? Like His name was Sam Ash. He had one store. Yeah. And then he blew up. I don't know the history of Sam Ash. Maybe next time we'll get Mr. Sam Ash on. There you go. Um, he's a big reader, loves science fiction. Um, and when you look at him, you're like, okay, that makes sense. That guy should like science fiction. <laughs> um, on guitar and lead vocals, Donald Buck Dharma. I think it's pronounced Rosser. Rosser, okay. I, I don't know. I could be wrong. It's R-O-E-S-E-R. Yeah. Um, he played accordion for the longest time. Not accordion on the longest time. Not the Billy Joel song. That's acapella. Sure. But he played accordion for a long time. Then got into rock and became a drummer, but broke his wrist playing basketball. So he picked up a guitar and liked it best. Okay. In 1985, he participated in a uh, project called Hear and Aid. Uh, here, like hearing aid, like hearing aid, but, but with an N in the middle. Okay, here so and aid, here and aid, which was a charity record of metal organized by none other than Ronnie James Dio. Whoa. Ride it again. Whoa. Get back on that tiger. Let's yeah. double it up. We've been missing you, Ronnie. Shiny diamonds. Uh, uh, good stuff. We never make it past this. Wow, one. no. Who knew about them shiny diamonds? Coming for you. Here we. Let's see what they run with here. It's so funny because of this little this little in joke that we this running joke on our podcast. My kids know all the words to Holy Diver. That's awesome. They know it note for note. Like Great my, for them. my boys know Holy Diver note for uh, note. They know it better than we do. We never don't ever, thought. We don't ever get past the tiger. <laughs> yeah. That's good stuff. Um he played a Gibson SG mainly and a Steinberg and Steinberger guitars. Uh, those are the headstockless guitars. Yeah. Great-looking guitars. Now he plays a Keisel, which I wasn't familiar with, so I, I definitely had to look it up. Um, he plays a Vader 6, and the Vader won Best New Guitar at NAMM in 2015. It oh, cool. looks like rock. It looks okay. like a BC Rich Warlock without the headstock that's kind of chopped up a little bit. I okay. kind of like it. Could never play it in church, but I love that a guitar. A BC Rich Warlock, if you don't know that by name, 
it looks like evil. Um, it looks like what Blue Oyster Cult would play. Yes, yeah, exactly. It looks like you took like a regular shaped guitar with its curves and gave it like rheumatoid arthritis, and it like. <laughs> If you've seen if you've seen the newest season of Stranger Things, no spoilers here, but it looks if you have seen the new Stranger, season of Stranger Things, it looks like something that would have come out of that, yeah, right? Of good. one of the Go like victims of season four of Stranger that's Things. That's good. Um, on keyboards and a little bit of guitar, Alan Lanier. Um, he actually lived with Patti Smith through the seventies oh, and did cool. stuff on her projects. Actually, uh, because the night, I love that yeah. song. Uh, uh, that's on Easter album, and he plays Keys on Space Monkey. That's a neat song on that album. Um, he died in 2013 of COPD complications. On drums, Albert Bouchard, who is uh, who we talked about a little bit earlier. Um, drums, percussion, cowbell, stuff with Mike Watt, which is a great name for a musician, by the way. Mike Watt. Yeah, of the Minutemen and Firehose. Formed Blue Coop with his brother Joe, who we will mention below and interview with. Um, and it, they also had Alice Cooper's bass player, Dennis Dunaway, on that project. Uh, Michael and Randy Brecker on horns. Um, their contribution appears only on the extended album track yep. and was edited out of the released single. Yep. Um, they did stuff with everybody from James Brown to Eric Clapton. They played on the August album, which for you EC fans is the one that has uh, It's in the Way That You Use It, which I love that song. Um, so they're the horn section and they are like side note. They're like jazz giants, legends, like, yeah, yeah. legends. They've had, they've got, um, I, I put a little bit about them too. So like Randy Brecker was a, f- a founding member of blood, sweat and tears. Um, and their jazz and funk credits, I mean, are just impossible from Zappa, Clapton, Quincy Jones. They played with huge names in like every genre. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, he just named three genres right there. <laughs> yeah. That was pretty awesome. Um, on backing vocals, some keyboards and some percussion, and one other thing, a guy by the name of David Lucas, he wrote the AT&T jingle, Reach Out and Touch Someone. There you go. And the Pepsi, Catch the Spirit, Pepsi, he wrote those jingles. Huge in the 80s, but his greatest contribution to the world of music was suggesting the cowbell for there this you go. song. That's so that's right. his greatest. He was also the producer on this track, Correct. which we'll get to in a second. Um, and right. then on bass, Joe, who we'll talk with here in a little bit. That's right. Don't forget Joe. Uh, okay. I've got a few uh, sort of listening notes here and then a little bit of music theory to talk about. Um, First of all, listening notes, you can't, and this is just because of Saturday Night Live, if nothing else, you can't not hear the cowbell, right, which is portrayed in the SNL sketch as being played by a fictional player named Gene Frankel, (laughs) and they do like a little obituary thing at the end. Don't blow Um, it, Force Gene! (laughs) Uh, In reality, it was played by Albert Bouchard, the band's drummer, who covered the bell in gaff tape and hit it with a timpani mallet that has like cotton on the ends. Um, to kind of soften the sound and mellow it out. It's not real tingy tingy. No. They but they fixed that at the beginning rather than like trying to EQ it out in yeah. post um, by him using a, a mallet and a taped up uh, cowbell. And actually, depending on who you ask, stories do vary because producer David Lucas says it was him that played it, mm-hmm. and uh, Eric Bloom has also said that he played it. Yeah. So it's it's interesting. Um, the producer in the sketch, by the way, is named Bruce Dickinson, but as I said, the song's producer was David Lucas. Bruce Dickinson is real, um, but he was credited as the producer of a reissue of this album that came out later, and I think the SNL people, when they were putting together the sketch, saw that name and used it as Christopher Walken's character. It sounds better than David Lucas <laughs> yeah, in Yeah, Bruce sketch. Dickinson, yeah, yeah. It has some weight Talk of the to walk, it. baby. I'm the guy. <laughs> Uh, okay, the middle section on the album version with the guitar solo is beautifully out of nowhere in the most 70s rock yeah. way. <laughs> you know what I mean? It literally changes keys, changes vibes all together, and, and, and then straight back to the original like chill vibe. Let's take a listen to it. Twilight Zone? Yeah. You can lightly hear the horns in there doubling that riff. Come on, this is awesome. 
he's going to end up holding this G, which is kind of what connects them back to the original key. Right? That's so... Let's break down what's happening here. Organized chaos. Organized chaos. Let's let's break that down. Okay. So it's it, theory-wise, if you're thinking A minor, it's A minor, G, F, G for most of the song. That's the verses. Uh, the choruses just go F, G, A minor. Um, and there's occasionally an E in there. But um, it's simple. You can get lost in it. It's kind of trippy. You know what I mean? Um, but the we were talking about this a minute ago. You said the guitar drives the song, mm-hmm. and I said I'm going to get more granular than that. Yeah. F- to me, I'm going to say the open G string is really the unsung hero of this song. It's that ringing note that drives the rhythm and creates the like haunting sound. So, so can you sing it in the riff? Yeah. So, so. it's bum 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 bum. It's that boom dun 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 Like that note, and and that note that's is, played open. It's an open G. And you can hear it, it keeps ringing even when they're changing fret saying. positions. Mm-hmm. And it's that note that I think gives the song. It's that, right, to me. I think that's what keeps it. And that open G has a way of ringing in a way that is ever so slightly out of tune or chorusy sounding, especially when you throw some delay on, you know what I mean? And even some effects. Um, I think that is what is really the sound of the song to me is that open G string. Um, okay. Let's go back to that solo section for just a second, because suddenly we've been in a minor, the whole song. Uh, suddenly we're in F minor for no discernible reason. Okay. So this opening riff of the, of the middle section That's an A minor chord. And we're going to go here. That's an F minor chord followed by a G7 chord with, with the 7 on bottom. In it. Yeah. So that's an FGB, FGB. You're hearing. So let's break down this. Now they're going, it's still the chord wise, it's F minor, G7, okay? But the riff is going. Uh, on an F minor chord, one, two, flat, three, nine, one, do, 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 and then a G major chord, one, three, five, flat, nine, one. Oh, gross. Okay. That sounds so like that shouldn't have worked. Well, so what it is, the, the flat nine works because it's a uh, it's an extension of, it's a kind of a natural extension of a G7 chord. Okay. So you would go one, three, five, seven, nine. Okay. You know what I mean? Dun, 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 dun. It gives it that real uh, classical fugue sound. If you think of like the... The way that diminished sound is what is what it ends up giving it. So here's that one more time. So it's G F interesting and then you've got the sweet solo on yeah. top of it you know. good job uh thank you uh, a few more listening notes it's what they keep me around for around here let's see i love i i no i triple love <laughs> the sound of the snare on this song yeah uh and if you're listening on headphones you can really hear some serious slap delay on the drums especially on the snare and the hi-hat when it's sort of exposed there in that middle section it's like bouncing all yeah. over the place uh but i love the snare of this song it's it pops, but it's still mellow sounding. Like you can hear the kind of compression on it, but you, but it but it still sounds mellow. Um, they, like they're not banging away on the drums on this song, yeah. you know, except for middle section middle excluded. Section. You know, um, I love the low harmony on the verses. Like it's it gives me like a Meat Puppets vibe, and I love thinking of this as like <laughs> a prototype for that. But let's listen because normally you're thinking, especially if you're thinking of heavy rock. You know, heavy rock vocals tend to go, how high can we do this? Yeah. You know what I mean? Listen to how low these these uh, vocal harmonies are on the on the verse. That's what they're saying. 
that's low. That's dun, let's see if we're in a that's uh that's a low C, so that's E D C B C. That's really low. That's not James Brown and Ronnie James Dio no. uh, vocal <laughs> idol. Eric. No, exactly. That would be yes. <laughs> the other end of the spectrum. I did look up what they instrumentally played and used on to play that riff. Okay, and what he's singing through. Um, the riff was recorded with a Krugman, a Gibson E seven ES one seventy five guitar run okay. through a Music Man four ten combo amp. And Dharma's vocals were captured with a Telefunken U47 too. 47, that's a classic classic. studio microphone. Um, Like I said, for me, the thing that really makes this song shine is how mellow most of it is. Um, I said uh, it's what Will Smith might call a soft, subtle mix in (laughs) in the song Summertime, you know? It's so chill. If it ain't broke, don't try to fix it. There you go. Don't try to fix it. You can go back. Do the low vocal harmony of that on Don't Try to Fix It. (laughs) (laughs) Don't. Don't try to fix it. There we go. Um, <laughs> it's like the song is not the song is up tempo. This yeah. is a fast song, right? It da, 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 that's probably it doesn't feel like it's that, 120 beats a minute you, at least. Unless you're just using the cowbell to kind of set the yeah, tempo. Yeah, got, got, right. Yes, um, but it's but it's uh, but it's chill. Yeah, their vocals make it chill. But it's not a ballad. You know what I mean? It's a it's a chill fast song uh and it's just like dude don't fear death you know let's groove and skydive and raise babies and start a plant collective whatever whatever <laughs> plant collective. <I> like. <laughs> a little more about the song uh buck wrote the song after being di- diagnosed with an irregular heartbeat um he said it's imagining you can survive death in terms of your spirit your spirit will prevail so it's about him like getting some bad health news but deciding like i'm not gonna fear death you know what i mean i'm gonna like you know Live like you are dying, as Tim McGraw might say. <laughs> uh, it's really a positive song, though a lot of people have mistakenly said it's encouraging suicide. That was like the big controversy over the song. Is like, don't fear the reaper. Let's do this. Let's mm-hmm. slip, you know, whatever. Yeah. I don't want to make make light of suicide, sure. but like, you know. Uh, so that was the like con- that was the reason we weren't allowed to listen to this, uh-huh. right? Um, but it's really about living life well in light of the fact that we all know that we will die, right? Make yeah. the most of the time that you have. Um, it's the inspiration, according to Stephen King, for his classic novel, The Stand. Okay. Uh, and it's quoted at the beginning of the book, um, although apparently, I don't know if this is the same in every edition, but apparently it's misquoted. It says Mary instead of baby. Baby. And I don't know if Mary is a character in The Stand. I don't read. Um, <laughs> I'm not generally well-educated. <laughs> Uh, dropped out of college. He's no Eric Bloom with the reading. No, no, absolutely not. Um, I haven't even seen the miniseries. There's two miniseries based off the stand. I haven't seen either one. So I don't know if there's a Mary or not. I don't Rob know. Rob doesn't even like to stand. I don't even- <laughs> <laughs> That is the truest thing that's ever been said on this podcast. <laughs> like it hurt to the core, but doggone it if it's not true. Um <laughs> Uh, it's featured in tons of films and video games, particularly in horror movies. Horror <laughs> movies like to play a little Don't Fear the Reaper, uh, you know, in a good chase scene in Halloween, something like that. Um, I got to stump the genius. Okay, all uh, right, let's do it. Let's do it. Stump the genius, stump the genius, stump the genius. It's time to stump the genius. I take your part. So we're going to play Name This Band, whose name has a color in it. Oh, Blue okay. Blue Oyster okay. Cult. Mm. So, 10 okay. songs. If you'll put a timer on your I'm phone. I'm going for 80%. If you put a timer on your phone, 10 songs, okay. you got to get at least eight. Right. 45 seconds. That gives you a little less than five seconds a song. Okay. Um, I hope get you're through as many. I am cheering for you. If you get stuck, pass. So, okay. give a little countdown. All right. One minute. Uh, 45 oh, sorry, seconds. 45 Let's do 45 seconds. seconds. Okay. Let's just challenge him. So, there's 10. Okay. Um, and these are. St- Bands, yeah. just name the band. In the name of the band. Color right. in the name of the band. All right, here Ready? we and go. Well, I'm already stuck. Skip. Uh, Pink Floyd. Uh, Black Sabbath. Uh, uh, red, white stripes. Do okay. you have Green Day? Time. This is fun. It's smoke on the water. It's it's pur- pur- purple, uh, pur- purple, uh, deep purple, deep purple. Jeez, uh, maroon five, white snake. <laughs> Zach Brown band. Brown band. Uh, no, 
I'm thinking Gary Glitter. That's, glitter's not a color. You want to go back to the top oh. one? Oh, that's the Black Keys. <laughs> oh. That's the Black Keys. The one that stuffed you at the beginning, that's the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Dang. Oh, man, I could have picked a different one. What Chili uh, Peppers song is that? Now listen what I say. Oh. Do you not know, know this? Snow? No. Hey, it's, it's I've never heard this song. Oh, it's a biggie. You don't know this one? From Stadium Arcadium? Literally oh, don't dude, know it. It's great. Anyway, sorry I picked a bad Chili Peppers Dang. song. But eight. You did eight. I did eight. There's 80%. my 80%. I'm right there. That was fun. I'm hanging in uh, here. To recap, uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Pink Floyd, Black Sabbath, White Stripes, Green Day. How many times did I say deep purple? Purple, 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 deep purple, uh, Maroon 5, White Snake, uh, that Zach Brown Band. That yeah. was funny to me. And the Black Keys. Man. So, good job. I need bro. more Black Keys in my life. I really like them. I just don't That's listen Howling to That's Howlin' For You things. by the Black Keys. Baby, I'm howling for you. Did you see the, the the promotion the Black Keys did for their new tour where they said they're going to uh, spread some of their drummer's grandmother's ashes in every city? No. no. It's really funny. <laughs> Go find it on Instagram if you're listening. Uh it they they've done several like really funny sort of quirky yeah. promos and one of them was that they were going to spread her ashes a little bit in every city they stop in. One of my uh, most impressive moments that I was super pleased with my wife noticing a rock star is she saw Dan in the airport. Oh, and she was like, "That's Dan. I'm going to go over real quick." And was like, "Gone." I was like, "Dan, what?" And then wow. I go over there and and she got she met him. Signed, wow. I think signed her plane ticket. Really? Yeah. So that was kind of. That's cool. a pretty solid pickup at an airport. Yeah. Like to be able to pick them out of a crowd. And is, I mean, and he was by himself. It's and like I picking mean out this, Gene Simmons. Yeah, he look and well, he looks kind of average. Yeah, that's like, what I mean. He's like, very average looking. Yeah, just looks um, like a dude. Looks like a guy. There's a guy. So yeah. good job, Kayla, on that. Wow. Um, yeah, this has been uh, it's been fun, but we ain't done yet. No, we're about to we hang out are, with Joe, guys. Yeah, exactly. We're gonna hang out with Joe Bouchard of Blue Oyster Cult. We're going to talk about all the things. We're going to talk about being perceived as evil. Uh, we're going to talk about just all the all the kinds of uh, all the things you want. We're going to talk about umlauts. We're going to talk about American Rocker. Yeah, new project. My way is the highway. Yeah. So let's do that right now. But first, stop whatever you're doing. Uh, I don't care if you're about to if you're rock climbing and you're listening to us <laughs> while you rock climb. First of all, congratulations on being uh, awesome and in shape. A lot um, of standing in that. A lot of standing. A lot of finger strength That's for the right. rock climbers. Use one of those strong fingers to scroll down to your phone on uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and give us a follow over at Great Song Pod. Join the Facebook group great songs and great people who love them greatly and if you want to go the extra mile if you want to reach the top of that mountain so to speak and be just an absolute next level uh bud of the show you can be a producer at patreon.com slash great song pod just go to patreon you can look up the great song podcast it's p-a-t-r-e-o-n and if you uh, decide to support us at any level first of all you'll get all our eternal gratitude second of all you'll get stuff like bonus shows early releases, stuff you can't get anywhere else uh, by being a subscriber on Patreon. So if you want to do that, go to patreon.com slash great song pod. Um, yeah, let's go talk to Joe Bouchard of Blue Oyster Cult, and we'll be back to tuck you in at the end. This is the Great Song Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, as promised, we are here with Joe Bouchard, uh, American rocker, founder, uh, founding member of Blue Oyster Cult, and uh, kind enough to spend a few minutes with us here today on the Great Song Podcast. Joe, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, it's great to be here. Man, we are so excited. And as we as we speak with you, it's actually release day for you. Uh, so mm-hmm. congratulations on that. Tell us a little I'm bit about. Excited. Tell us a little bit about the new record. Was there a, a, a specific vision for this one, or, or tell us everything about it? Well, you know, I didn't have a plan at, at first. You know, you could say that this is my pandemic record. Okay. Uh, when you know, I put out a record during the pandemic, but it already had been written before. So this one was completely written and conceived and recorded during the pandemic. So uh, it was great to have that extra time. Everybody's schedules cleared out. No gigs to go to. Right. No. No. No filling up the car with with gear. <laughs> no. 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 Just me and and my guitars back there. You know. Yeah. Plug them in. Make them work, you know, make them work their, pay for their, uh, their room and board. Right. That's right. Make them earn it. That's great. Yeah. Well, got to, They got to earn it. So no, well, I had a lot of fun doing this and I hope that the fun, it reflects in the grooves, you know, 
Sure. Um, yeah, we've only yeah. heard we've only heard to this point the lead single, but I've I really enjoyed no, it. No, I haven't. Oh, you have I've listened through it. Okay. Yeah, I. I uh, you, oh, I spent. Yeah, it just I, came out like midnight last night. Yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah, they pressed I the go button. Jumped in and the, loved it. I uh, obviously the, the master the, control. Right, dude. I stayed up just because I wanted to be prepped to talk oh. about it and wrote some notes. Oh, it's so great! I great. love uh, I, My Way Is the Highway, which is the yep, you know the, the lead new, single, the, the big single. I hear the cowbell coming in at second at second number seven. I'm like nice nice tribute there. Great sounding, good production, the thick guitars, a nice mix of vocals. I feel like it's an anthem that's only two minutes and 45 seconds long. I didn't even know that was possible, how you can do an anthem in two minutes and 45 seconds in less than three minutes. No, yeah, I don't know. That one just, uh, I don't know. I had, I'd been thinking about doing a song about, uh, I, you know, I watched the old uh, Route 66 yeah. TV shows. You, it's, yeah. it's way before you, no. your, your time. Way before your time. <laughs> but when I was your age or younger, uh, when I was a young lad, <laughs> I thought that was the coolest thing. These guys would be hopping in their, their convertible and, you know, taking off down the road, all these adventures. And uh, so um, I had this riff that was based around, uh, around that idea. And then uh, I just started playing the riff one day. I had the right groove on the drums and and uh, the song. And so once I hit that chorus, I'd my way is a highway. Oh, okay, <laughs> you know, yeah, that's, you I, know, it sounds kind of familiar. But then I you do a search and say, well, there's not there's a there were a couple of country songs that had that theme, but I've never really heard a rock song with that particular theme and. Uh, so I went with it, and it just seemed to fall into place. You it's, know, it's great. I I love that you said if you're looking for something that's dark and depressing, you aren't going to like this album. <laughs> <laughs> it's so full of positivity. I like hey, it. Love if I can make of, a few people smile, I'm a happy camper. Oh, you know, great. Love out of thin air yeah. about meeting your life partner. Tell the story yeah. about off season hotel and the oh, summer that, that's Labor a good Day one. weekend setting. Sounds like a movie. Yeah. This is a great story. Tell yeah. this one. Well, back back in the uh, back in the '60s, I was the band leader in a resort hotel we did a you know six nights a week four hours a night nine to one nine to one and so we did everything you know (laughs) and and it was great you know in this environment because i was just 18 i turned 18 that summer and uh and uh we played there all summer and so you had that big party at the end of the summer labor day weekend big you know oh it's, it's fantastic the week after Labor Day, it's like, oh, it's empty. <laughs> it's like ghosts. It's like, it, you know, so the staff at this hotel, all our friends, they they go down to Florida and do the whole thing again with the summer crowd. You, you know, the, their, their winter job, yeah. I say. <laughs> and, um, yeah, because this was up in uh, Thousand Islands, a resort area of uh, New York State. And... Uh, so that was that was always a I wanted to write a song about that. And then uh about 30 years later, I get a call from my brother. Do you want to go to Florida to play a gig in a hotel? And it's for the Ghostbusters. <laughs> you remember the remember the Ghostbusters TV show? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. the, they had a, a I used to watch it all the time. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. Loved those guys. And uh so they had this convention in Florida in this old, old wooden hotel, supposedly haunted hotel. Sure. And it was a huge crowd there, you know, and they had a UFO specialist who was our friend, Peter Robbins, who wrote a couple books on UFOs. He was one of the speakers and Linda Blair from The Exorcist <laughs> was one of the speakers. It was wild. So we're sitting in the bar and... There's all these TV monitors. I said, what the heck are all these TV monitors doing in the bar? Because it was just dark, you know. There wasn't, wasn't much going on. And somebody came over and said, they're having a ghost hunt up in the attic. Do you want to go? <laughs> I said, sure. It's midnight. It's midnight. You know, we'd already played our set. And, and so they give us night vision goggles and they give us these listening devices, you know. And uh, so we went up the attic of this old hotel. And they're saying, you know, in these, uh, you know, places, you know, it's been here for 100 years. And, it's, you know, it kind of creaks a little bit, you know. And, 
So I said, now, now we're going to have to be real quiet, make sure so the ghosts will come out, you know. And the woman who was directing this tour says, you hear that? And we're all listening. What? You know, like, <laughs> ah! yes. I, and, and she's, I think I see something. I, I think there was somebody who did a seance there. Oh my God. It was crazy for two hours. Well, I didn't personally see a ghost. I tried. I, 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 would, I, I tried not looking for them, but you were intentionally trying to find them. <laughs> I guess that's what happens. They only show up when you're not looking. Right. <laughs> so I got these two stories, and I said, hey, you know, I, and I got the title, Off-Season Hotel. Yeah, yeah, that would make a good – and and uh, so I – you know, it it, 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 it – it just that one that one I worked on that one took a lot of work to get it done, and I got John Jorgensen yep. to play some beautiful flamenco guitar on that one. Yeah, he and he also plays on in the Golden Age too, right? Oh yeah, and, and his solo in the Golden Dude, Age, dude, so good, spectacular. He's a, for our listeners that don't know, John yeah. Jorgensen, a great session guy from Nashville. I met him a few yep. years ago. He played with Orleans oh at a God. show that I went yeah. to. My brother. <laughs> the instigator, <laughs> you know, he says, you got to put a cowbell on it. Okay, yeah. I'll do that. And then he says, why don't you get your friend John Jorgensen to play a couple of solos on these songs? Are, you know, you, you, you're playing a lot of guitar all through the whole album, but, you know, maybe you need something a little special over the top. And and I said, John, I mean, he's a busy guy. He's a, he got works in four bands at the same time. Jeez. You know, plays with uh, Chris Holman of the Birds. Amazing trio that they have with Herb Peterson, and uh, you know he's just a, a tremendous guy. So he uh, whips out the guitar, puts a couple of tracks down. Like, Whoa, blows my mind, you know? <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, he's on uh, in the Golden Age, and he's also on the the uh, off season hotel. Just the icing on the cake. Uh, you mentioned you are a multi-instrumentalist. Um, you know, you play uh, a lot of stuff on your own records. You played several things, uh, you know, even with Blue Oyster Cult. You weren't just bass. You did some other things. Yeah, um, occasionally. Yeah. Talk yeah. a little bit about that element of your of your style and maybe even how, you know, being a bass player informs how you play other instruments. Yeah. Um, yeah, or how I play other instruments informs my bass playing. Exactly. Yeah, sure. I I, uh, I was a piano major in college. Okay. I, I I wanted to be a guitar major, but there was no place to study guitar back in the '60s. No kidding. So you know, I was a trumpet player in high school. So I <laughs> I went to my trumpet teacher. I said, "I'm going to study music in college. Do you think I could be a trumpet major?" And he said, "I've heard you play." Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, he's gritting his teeth and he says, <laughs> go talk to your singing teacher, you know? Okay. So I had this great chorus director and a great guy. And I said, I said, Mr. Connors, I want to go to college and be a singing major. And he said, well, I've heard you sing. And <laughs> why don't you go talk to your piano teacher? Uh. So my piano teacher was sister George. She's an 80 year old nun. Okay. And uh, I went to see Sister George, and Sister George says, oh, you can do anything you want to do. <laughs> yeah. And little did I know how hard it was going to be. I was really, I, I, I worked, worked my butt off, you know, senior year of high school, just so I could get into a college, you yeah. know, when I really wanted to study guitar. Right. And, uh, you know, guitar was not a, a, a sanctioned instrument in those sure. days. So um, I got through the audition and spent four years studying intense classical music, wow. you know. But I was still was playing gigs on the weekends, you know. Cool. And I, you know, I played in soul bands, I played in jazz bands, I played in rock bands, I played in fraternity, you know, animal house bands. <laughs> it was great, you know. So um, uh, the last thing I did in college, the last two years, I, I played bass in, in college, and my. Uh, Actually, as time was turning, uh, my my uh, I had a guitar teacher by that time, and I played in his band as his bass player. So he taught cool. me a lot. He was he's really, really uh, you know I mean it was playing all the sort of commercial bass lines, mm -hmm. 
you know, for all the pop hits in the day, you know. And so that that led up to being able to, uh, you know, handle the job of being bass player in this weird band called Blue Oyster Cult. (laughs) Well, let's let's talk about let's talk a little bit about Blue Oyster Cult. First thing I have to ask, uh, as JP and I were both brought up in pretty strictly religious homes, and so like at the time when we were little, like Blue Oyster Cult was a no-no just on the name just alone, the name. and like oh the name you know, alone, yeah, burn those records. That's right. So you know, I know you guys faced you know probably more than your share of backlash oh my God, just based yeah. on that. Yeah. Um, is there any are are there particular memories of specific boycotts or situations that people got upset about that come to mind that you would like to share? Is just not, a funny you, recollection. You know, not as bad as you would think okay but we did have people handing out leaflets you know the end is near sure. you know repent yeah you know <laughs> or my or my pastor says that this band is evil yeah 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 <laughs> it's, sure. it's the personification of evil no right. we weren't i mean we're just like regular guys you know <laughs> we just you know we like play music we didn't mind being weird uh-huh. you know we didn't want to be a commercial band you know we didn't want to be the Barry Manilow's of heavy metal. <laughs> There's a good name, the Barry Manilow's of heavy metal. <laughs> that's, that's your tagline. Right. Like the Eagles of death metal. Yes, you know? exactly. So you guys were fine with with Sister George maybe being a little upset by the name. Yeah, that was okay. <laughs> I, I it was hard telling it to my 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 relatives, you know, because we had a meeting. We couldn't decide on a name, and we had a meeting, and we kept. It, it was just the arguments were like insane, and we had to practice for the album. We had to record an album, so we said to our managers, we locked them in a room. We, our two managers, Sandy and Murray, we locked them in a room. Said, "Don't come out of that room until you have the name." And five minutes later, they came out and they said, "We got it. It's going to be Blue Oyster Cult." We got oh, but then Sandy said, "You know, I." Uh, they told the record company and the record company was kind of happy about it. I don't know why. Well, people in advertising like to have something that they can, you know, really dig, you know, that wasn't, you know, Billy Joel right. or Barry Manilow or, yeah. <laughs> or, you know, who else? Or, well, even Bob Dylan, you know, sure. it, it was on in the birds and Bob Dylan were on Columbia. You know, it worked out. It worked out. It's, it, it's a, a distinguished it's name. You know? Instantly recallable, instantly memorable for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And you guys yeah. were the sort of uh, uh, originators, the progenitors of the use of the umlaut. Uh, the little, yes. the, you know, in in heavy music, and that became really a thing for heavy bands and metal bands, yeah. uh, and Monty bands who Crew. wanted to project a certain image. You know, is that a crew with a umlaut, yeah. or, exactly, or Motorhead yeah. with an umlaut? Motorhead, yeah, we were yeah. first. Yeah, I don't know, I, and they, and even then, over, in, uh, you know. They thought we were from Germany. I think. I think they <laughs> ah, thought we were a German sure. band. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So there was, you know. Say we looked at it kind of like Pink Floyd, you know. Pink Floyd's just kind of mysterious band. You don't know what do they look like. I don't know. You know, <laughs> they they they're weird. You know, they have this weird. So he was very happy about. It wasn't until later when we started pulling the reins back and say, "Oh no, Sandy, we got to put our picture on the thing." <laughs> you know, you can't got to use our real names, right? Yeah, you, you got to use our real names on the album. Did they try and did anybody try and push you guys to use stage names? Oh yeah, well, yeah. Buck Dama is yeah, still yeah, using his stage yeah. name. Yeah, sure. Joe, and he, he does like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Punisher, I'll have to remember yeah. that. The uh, so uh, we we'd be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about Don't Fear the Reaper. So yeah. I've yeah. heard I got yeah. two things I got to ask in regards to that. Sure. Um, obviously Albert playing the cowbell part, and David Lucas suggested. I heard you say Albert thought he was crazy <laughs> for that, and uh, yeah, I, I mean, heard that the rhythm section parts were done in one take on a four track. Is that true? Uh, probably. I think by that time it was twenty-four tracks. Okay, okay, but it was all done. It was all done one take. Wow! Wow! And wow. all five of us played live. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they added some more guitars later, and of course the vocals were added later. I think it was all instrumental. We just played. We we practiced a lot. Yeah. You know, I knew that we had a, a probably the best chance of of having a hit record with that one. So you felt it right away. Oh, I felt it. Yeah. Even even when Donald brought the cassette, 
and we'd, we'd bring around these boom boxes on the road, and he'd put the cassette in, we'd be listening on the boom box. And there was, <laughs> oh, that's a good song. And then Reaper would come on. Wow. <laughs> well, that blows minds, you know. <laughs> we took it. We took the boom boxes over to Europe, and even the, the record company over there, they would send out their, uh, you know, the people that the, – artist liaisons or you know sure. and they would go and and we would we'd have a party after the show and they'd be listening to the boom box and they go wow <laughs> you know like whoa <laughs> so yeah it had that 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 power to uh, up, uh make an impression make a big impression yeah it was a combination of donald making a love song but still being able to keep that weirdness right you know that weird Weird thing, and people to this day is can I don't know, you know, you know, we're <laughs> well, just we're just lucky, you know, that we have that song. Well, that, that that whole album's great, Agents of Fortune album. My favorite song yeah. that's not "Don't Fear the Reaper" or "Burning for You" is on that album. My favorite Blue Oyster Cult song, and you wrote it, "Morning Final." I love it. Yeah, um, so many different parts and so many cool licks. So also from that album. So another one. I I, I really enjoyed writing that. I think I remember. I had this old white piano in my garage, and I had a little studio built on the far side of the garage, you know, so I could practice. And, and uh, yeah, I uh, I uh, really worked on that it, more than I more than I had on any other song mm. up until that point. And um, yeah, demo was pretty good. I've I've heard uh, some demo versions of that that that. Sound almost as good as the finished version, <laughs> and then I think I think it also conceptually fit with, yeah. you know, that sort of New York attitude. You know, that kind of you know, it was a it was a rough time in New York in those in those days. You know, there was a lot of crime. You know, people talk about crime today, but that was it was scary. <laughs> it was scary, and so you know, subway. You know, it's it's kind of a true story. Picked up the newspaper, saw that. The headline and the thing, you know, subway murder, and, and and then I found out it was a hundred feet from the door of the, the apartment I was staying. Oh in. wow, wow, yeah, it was like it was like right there. <laughs> and I said, wait a minute, you know, I'm a kid from a little town, and I grew up on a farm. You know, none of this weirdness happens. You know, yeah. so I guess they and and they produced it really well. And I played the piano. Oh, I didn't know that. On that. I didn't know you did the I, yeah, piano part. Of that. I played the piano on that. Uh, I was really sick that day, so I I ended up overdubbing another piano. There's Sounds two good. pianos, and then Alan, uh, who usually plays the piano, mm -hmm. played the bass on it, and okay. he he really he really nailed the bass part. So yeah, That's nice. thank he's you for awesome. bringing he that up with Patty Smith. I mean, that guy's he's that, yeah yeah played on the Clash. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm interested in in that sort of studio dynamic where you go. Okay, on this song, why don't you play piano and you play bass? Like, is that because were you guys tracking together at that point too? And so it was decided, okay, yeah, well, Joe's yeah, going to play we piano. We were all so. there. Everybody was there. You know, uh, I don't remember if Eric played on the track, but he might have. And um, I, I guess, and it was great to hear Alan play bass. Yeah, it gave it gave it a kind of like a freshness. Yeah. You know, everybody plays bass a little bit different, you know. Yeah. So, uh, but he, he could easily, you know, pick up the bass and play a really nice bass line. And, uh, well, I think if yeah. Alan could, I, don't, if I can't could remember have, whose idea that was. If he was, if he was around to hear your new project, I think he'd be pleased. So, Definitely. well, that's great. Sure. That's, yeah. I think he'd be that yeah. great. Yeah. I, uh, I'd love to know if you think, uh, you know, I, I always like to ask artists who are, you know, part of these iconic groups like Blue Oyster Cult who have inspired so many other groups, you know, um, where you kind of, where do you hear the inspiration of Blue Oyster Cult in more modern bands or who, you know, who's kind of carrying oh. that torch now? Well, the ghost, okay. there's a band called ghost, yeah. I guess from Sweden. And, uh, uh, supposedly they're big, uh, you know, they, they do carry on some of that. Of course, Metallica, of course, you yeah, know, yeah. they, they covered one of our songs. Actually, they yeah. covered two. they, they did. They did a cover of Eric Bloom's song, uh, "Veteran of the Psychic Wars." Mm -hmm. It was done in a live show. It's it's too bad it wasn't on one of their albums. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, uh, 
that was a big that changed my life. Yeah, because I I co-wrote this song. Yeah. I had heard, and you know, I was into the internet in the early days, and I had heard a rumor that Metallica was going to cover a Blue Oyster Cult song, and I said, oh, it'll probably be somebody else's, or it'll be the usual, right. the usual, you know, maybe Reaper or something like that. And no, it was astronomy. astronomy. Yeah, and all of a sudden, I was like. Well, that's kind of cool. <laughs> and next thing I know, I quit my day job. <laughs> yeah, wow. Yeah, I quit my day job because wait a minute, I'm going to be on a Metallica record. <laughs> I got to write. I got to write more songs. Yeah, <laughs> I can't. You know, and um, and then I got the cassette in my post box, and I'm riding around in my Datsun, and I put the cassette in. Because I, I, I can really remember this, <laughs> driving driving back from the post office, and I put the cassette in my car, and I can't believe it. I can't believe it. It sounded so good. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I still got that. I still got that cassette somewhere here. I'm gonna <laughs> have to have this if it sounds as good as it in my memory. You right. know. Yeah. But uh, that yeah, that really did sound great, and uh, and uh, you know they were when when we were really. And the you know having having hits and playing the big stadiums, they were you know basically in high school. Yeah. So you know the kind of music that you listen to in high school sticks with you. Yep. So they 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 did a, a huge favor with the uh, you know yeah. recording that song and they're, they're uh, good guys. You've been kind. We'll try to not take too much more of your time, but there's a few things we want to touch on real Whatever quick. There's you need. a few parts of these where we just kind of gush over things that we really like about the artist. So I'm going to do that for you. Sure. Um, sure. I saw, go ahead. I, I saw you and your brother play "Don't Fear the Reaper" at the Kate with Joan Levy Hepburn. I saw the video. Oh that. yeah, yeah. I actually video. like the drumless, percussionless approach on that. It sounds great. Um, and y'all yeah. sound great vocally on that. Well. Thanks. Dude, Thanks so much. It's so good. Uh, yeah. Screams from With, the first Blue Oyster Cult album. You also wrote and sang late on. Um, it's called the, some people call it the black and white yeah. album, but uh, yeah, really yeah. embracing the psychedelic rock sound. I love it. Great riffs, great bass lines underneath. Um, I uh, I heard someone say that y'all set out to kind of be the answer to Black Sabbath at the time. Um, yeah, a bit, you know. Uh, once we, I didn't, the first week that I joined the band, our manager, Sandy Perlman, said, you got to come and see this band. They're playing in Staten Island in this theater. And it was Black Sabbath. It was, you know, I think we got there late, so we didn't see the beginning. But I do remember the end. I remember, uh, you know, Iron Man and War Pigs and, of course, uh, you know, uh, Paranoid. Mm -hmm. You know, so that, you know, and Sandy was saying, this is going to be the next big thing. You know, this is... This is is going to be the next big thing, but event. So we'd certainly thought about that in the beginning. Um, I just thought that was. Cool. I knew, <laughs> uh, yeah, and and I knew the sort of dark uh, intervals. You put a, together a song like "Screams." Yeah, you know, you use those da 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 the the flatted fifths, yeah. the devils, the right. devils interval. That's right, that tritone. <laughs> yeah, you ain't, you ain't going one four five only on that. No, that, that no, 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 no slow blues here. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and and that had a that had a, a, a tempo change in it yeah. too. That was that was weird. That yeah, was great, weird. man. So yeah. we 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 embraced the weird. Well, back it, in those days, everybody just, should yeah. embrace the weird. Yeah, everybody. why not? Well, yeah. I, well, thanks. Yeah, we got uh, one question that we ask everybody. So you're sure. on, you're on. Let's say you're on tour, and let's say you're going either, you know, with Blue Oyster Cult or doing some solo stuff or whatever. And you go into a gas station. What is your gas station snack food of choice? And while you're thinking of it, I'll give you mine. Uh, when I was growing up, my mom would say you could have any candy bar you want, and I get a Three Musketeers bar because it's the most oh. ounces. What is your gas station? Hershey, Hershey with almonds. But, there you oh, go. Somebody else Hershey said that. Hershey with almonds. With the almonds. Yeah. Somebody else said that exact answer. Was it? I know Warren Haynes said Hershey bar, but nobody. I don't know if anybody <laughs> specified said the almonds. With okay. almond. Ray Stevens. Oh, it was. I think it was Ray it was Stevens. Ray That's <laughs> random. Good company. I'm in good company. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing more uh, unblue oyster cult than Ray Stevens. <laughs> That's good. There's a lot That's of good. This has been fun. Cars. I hope yeah. you've had a had a good time. A uh, great time. Great, 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 great. Great talking to you. I appreciate you digging into the music. and uh, Ray Stevens with I peanut really butter crackers. I was wrong. You're right. You're right. <laughs> it's right. It's right. We'll think of it. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Listen, we wish you the best with the new album, and yeah. uh, we thank you so much for well, joining us for a few minutes. Today. Punisher, thank you, Joe the Punisher, yeah, Joe the Punisher, Joe the Punisher. Joe the Let's get That's right. Keep it weird. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. Have a great day, man. Okay, you too. Cheers. Thanks. This is the Great Song Podcast. And that was Joe Bouchard of Blue Oyster Cult. What a fun uh, thing this has been to kick off 70s September here on the Great Song Podcast. Uh, Don't Fear the Reaper is a song that I just never thought I would get to listen to. I never thought I would get to love and enjoy the song because <laughs> I was always supposed to be scared of it. But you know what? I'm not afraid of it anymore. <laughs> I've, he doesn't fear it. I don't fear it. I've taken the hand of the Reaper. He doesn't fear, don't fear the Reaper. I don't. That's right. Don't fear, don't fear don't the Reaper. Don't fear, don't fear the Reaper. If there's one thing to take away from this podcast, it's don't fear, don't fear the Reaper. You know? <laughs> and that G-string. That's right. Seasons, don't fear, don't fear the Reaper. Uh, and, and uh, you know, all those things. So I can't think of the rest of them off the top of my head. But all those other things that don't fear, that don't fear the Reaper. Uh, <laughs> now... If somebody's afraid of listening to this episode of the podcast, we might need to tell them, don't, don't fear, fear, don't fear, don't fear the Reaper. That's right. <laughs> right? Now, if that was the subtitle. If, if we called this title, if we called the episode, don't fear, don't fear the Reaper, yeah. we would have to tell someone, yeah. don't fear, don't fear, don't fear the Reaper. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And when you say it like that, it almost comes across like a lyric. That's like right. it sounds like another song. It maybe does. we should write, maybe we should write a song about how this song is okay to listen to and call it Don't Fear, Don't Fear the Reaper, right? Yeah, that's good. And the chorus can just be us, Don't Fear, Don't Fear, Don't Fear the Reaper, right? Let's, let's, let's work think on about it. it. Let's let's think about I feel it. a shenanigan coming on. I you know what I'm saying? I think, that, I think that's, that's brewing. Yeah. All and right. Let's sing it in the stylings of James Earl Jones so that it's comforting. <laughs> <laughs> James Earl Jones. You do James Earl Jones, no. and I'll do Ronnie James Dio. Okay. Together. The duet of the uh, century. I thought you meant now, like on cue. <laughs> that's it. We'll do it. All right. 70 September and season 10 roll on next week with another great song. Until then, I'm Rob. I'm JP. Go listen to some music.